Listen carefully to God's holy word. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said, <clears throat> and he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, what a blessing thou art to us. This morning we come together and look at a, a text that can be very difficult for us to hear from the very words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But help us to see and hear the sovereign word of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both Redeemer and judge of the hearts of men. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would be found as those who are faithful before him and help us to be built up with our faith as we look at this text together. In Christ's name, amen. As we pointed out in our last message, Mark is about to record the evolving rotation of Jesus' movement during the last couple of days in terms of his life here on earth, the Passion Week. Mark is inviting his readers who truly have eyes to see, to see and follow Christ as he freely pays the ransom payment for the sins of believers. Yes, the evolving rotation at the beginning of the week is this. Christ enters the temple and looks around. Verse 11, we looked at that text last week. Christ curses the fig tree. We're looking at that passage this morning verses 12 through 14. In the temple, Christ erupts in righteous anger, verses 15 through 19, our message for next Lord's Day. Then Christ's interpretation of the withered fig tree is countered by faith, verses 20 through 26. And then in the temple, once again, Christ debates with the Jewish leaders, starting in verse 27, going through chapter 12, verse 12. You see the rotation. Temple, fig tree, temple, withered fig tree, temple. As we have begun looking at this evolving rotation that I've just placed before you, I wish to remind you of two themes that we want to keep in mind throughout these rotations. First, the issue of worshiping God. 
in the Old Testament canon with respect to the temple. And then second, the constant indictment of an Old Testament revelation that continues into the New Testament church. And that is that judgment begins with the household of God, as Peter points out in 1 Peter 4, 17. Last Lord's Day, we started to look at Christ's first appearance in the temple as he entered Jerusalem. Soon in our messages, we will see how observant Christ was as he looked around at everything. Verse 11. At the same time, we noted the redemptive and judgment connection forecasted and pronounced about Jerusalem and the temple from the Old Testament that is now coming to fulfillment in Christ's entrance into Jerusalem and the temple. After returning to Bethany, we are now ready for Christ making his way back into Jerusalem on the day following Palm Sunday. In Mark's movement and rotation, we are about to be confronted with Christ's first situation with the fig tree. Interestingly, in the history of interpretation, this text about the fig tree in verses 14, excuse me, 12 through 14, is perhaps the most scrutinized and perplexing incident to be explained by liberal scholars in the entire Gospel of Mark. Besides the question surrounding the seasonal aspect of fig trees, moving from budding leaves to ripe figs, there is the question of realism and symbolism in this event, since it is couched in Old Testament prophetic literature that even seems like a parable. The seasonal aspect does not have to be an issue. As one conservative scholar has noted, who has visited Palestine during the season described here in our text, the leaves are already opening at the Passover time in the spring. The leaves open in late March, early April, and the early ripe figs come in May and June, while the more mature, mature fig leaves or figs season will come in the summer months. Thus, there is nothing questionable about Jesus seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf that did not have any ripe figs on it, verse 13 of our text. Hence, we need to focus on the action, the action that Jesus is taking here with respect to the fig tree because there is something seriously important that we need to process in our hearts and in our minds. Let the Holy Spirit connect your faith in a fresh way to Jesus in this revelatory event this morning. One point I need to clarify before I move forward. I misspoke. I misspoke when I remarked 
in our message about Bartimaeus that his restoration of sight is the last miracle in Mark's gospel. I should have said that Christ's recovering of Bartimaeus's sight is the last positive redemptive miracle performed by Christ upon or for a person in Mark's gospel of good news. In truth, what Christ does here with respect to the fig tree is a miraculous act. In fact, it is a miracle that focuses upon judgment, upon judgment and not redemption. Furthermore, and do not overlook this point, this miracle of judgment must be perceived by the church as blending into the scope of Christ's teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God inaugurated with his coming. Simply put, Christ, the Son of Man, comes into the world and performs saving miracles and miracles of judgment. The fig tree clearly represents the judgment of God that will overcome Israel because of her own, her own apostasy and barrenness. This theme of judgment upon Israel has a long history among the Old Testament prophets that has now reached its consummated state with the coming of the one who fulfills, fulfills the prophetic office as the highest in purest voice of God himself. Christ's prophetic voice and act is before each of us this morning in this text. Christ's prophetic voice and act is before each of us this morning. And we must deal with it. However, <laughs> before we go more specifically in that direction, let us look at the description of Jesus in verse 12 that has raised the question even among conservative commentators whether we should view the entire text as merely prophetic symbol or is it realistic symbol? Is it realistic symbol? As you can see, Jesus and his disciples are coming from Bethany into Jerusalem on the second day. I want you to notice at this point already, notice the crowd is already gone. It's not Palm Sunday anymore. No one is there to meet him. Keep that in the back of your mind as we progress during the Passion Week here in Mark's Gospel. So Mark notes here, interestingly, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Why this comment? <laughs> what's the point? You may ask, what's so perplexing? to even conservative scholars at this point. <laughs> I 
especially since there is nothing that follows up this comment about Jesus eating in the text. We understand that since Jesus is fully God and he is fully human, that he does get hungry. He eats like any human. But to repeat, we are not told how Jesus' hunger in the text is resolved. Did someone come and serve him a meal? (laughs) Did disciples find him some food? (laughs) Did they find him some bread? (laughs) What effect did this hunger have on him? Since Mark mentions nothing about how his hunger was resolved, the question becomes whether Christ was really hungry or whether Christ's hunger is symbolic of some deeper spiritual truth. For example, that Mark wants sinners to pursue Christ to satisfy his hunger. So, is this merely symbolic hunger, or was Jesus really hungry here, as Mark tells us? Well, Mark has constantly described Christ's physical condition quite realistically throughout his gospel. The context with the fig tree is also in that direction. Christ, we must understand, is really hungry. And there is a tree that produces a fruit that is edible. But the tree does not bear its fruit in the early spring. But its leaf is visible to Jesus. So as Jesus moves towards the tree, he noticed that there were no figs on the tree because it was not the season for the figs. It was still too early in the season. They were not in the summer months for the season of ripe figs. Verse 13 of your text. At this point, you may say to yourself, surely Christ who is the participant of creating all things, making all things, He himself knows when the figs are ripe for eating and when they are not. So why does he move closer to the tree to see if it has brought forth edible figs when he knows as the creator that it does not possess ripe figs? (laughs) Well, at this point, listen carefully. Jesus uses his realistic physical hunger and the barren tree for a deeper spiritual supernatural purpose. And he is using his situation to fulfill the realistic voices of the Old Testament prophets. 
Yes, that Old Testament prophetic, symbolic, and future prophecy concerning a fig tree and Israel's sinful condition. Specifically, Christ's action on this occasion is in accordance with Old Testament prophecy. If you have your outline, you may want to look over those texts this coming week to see those connections. I've mentioned a number of them. Congregation, the barren fig tree is a symbol in Old Testament prophecy concerning Israel's condition that is coming under the judgment of God. We read this morning from Micah chapter 7 verses 1 through 9. As Micah takes on the persona of the barren fig tree itself in Micah 7 1. Micah himself is saddened that the children of Israel, in this case, more specifically the children of Judah, are not bearing fruit in their lives. Micah claims that the godly are perished from the earth. The godly are perished from the earth. While Judah, as well as all humanity, are devoid of godly people, Micah 7.2. Speaking mainly to Judah, Micah lists their characteristics. If there's any question about the way these children of Judah are living, let me tell you about it. If there's any question about their godlessness, let me inform you about it. Here are their characteristics. They lay in wait for blood. Their hands are evil. The prince and the judge receive bribes. Great men weave together evil. Verses 2 and 3 of Micah 7. A person can't even trust one's neighbor and have confidence in a friend. Verse 5. And if you are going, to, and if we are going to closely look at the best type of unbelieving person which evil produces, you will find that they are most like a prickly briar and a thorn. Verse 4, ouch! (laughs) Ouch! If you come upon such a person. Micah's prophecy about Judah is now coming to a head in the ministry of Christ. The eschaton for Israel and the world has arrived. We have entered into the last days of redemption and judgment. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, the sovereign prophet of God's word is here. 
Micah's prophecy has entered its end point. Christ's realistic physical hunger. Realistic physical hunger is a picture of his spiritual hunger for finding in Israel anyone, anyone who bears fruit, ripe fruit in their lives. But instead of eating physically, spiritually, and being satisfied, he has found in Israel a continual apostasy of those who are against godly living by God's word. Well, there is no more evolving of the prophets warning Israel. Did you hear that? There will be no more evolving of prophets warning Israel. The last Old Testament prophet has arrived. And he, like the prophets of old, has been executed. His name, John the Baptist. Now, the one to whom the office of prophet has been pointing us to throughout the entire Old Testament, the last he has come to repeat no more evolving prophets. No more evolving prophets coming to warn Israel. The last judgment is here and it has begun. No more second, third, or fourth chances for Israel's repentance. No more prophets will be sent. Today, today is the final day of salvation. Repentance and faith are required right now. Christ delivers a solemn and sobering judgment upon Israel's apostate religion that makes no room, that made no room for the Messiah Christ of history to enter its final era, its final day, its final hour. He delivers the message about the fig tree that is before him and disciples, before those disciples that were following him. Here it is, verse 14. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Yes, Christ's statement comes from the Messiah, Son of God, as a pronouncement of the final judgment upon Israel's apostate religion. Such religion cannot bear fruit, and thus the patience of the Lord with Israel has finally come to its end point. Apostate Israel now exists under the final judgment of God put into place but by Christ. 
But yes, nevertheless, yes, indeed, and how beautiful and wonderful it is. Repentant Jews will be the foundation of the new Israel, the dawn of the formal New Testament church, which is born by the condescension of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. What a glorious day in God's redemptive work for his people, for his church, who receive in Christ, who receive in Christ the work of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Yes, on Pentecost, the Abrahamic covenant, yes, the father of many nations, is about to be propelled into fulfillment beyond, beyond ethnic Israel. The new covenant, the new creation in Christ is about to occur. And as I've said to this congregation a number of times, this, everyone here this morning, is an example of that. If the Spirit has brought into you true faith in union with Jesus Christ, you are part of the new Israel. That is you. You're part of that. The blossoming of the truth of the gospel. The good news. Meanwhile, even Christ's ministry has been pressing towards this incident before the fig tree. We're back to the parable of the sower, which was central in Mark's presentation about the the arrival of Christ's preached word into the creation, especially presented by Christ himself while he was on earth. He has informed us about the results of the preaching of the word of God. Some will allow Satan to to seduce the word out of them. And others, the word will not take root. While in others, the cares of this world will get in the way of one to surrender to the word. All these cases will prevent the good news from bearing bearing the fruit of God's word. In contrast, Mark includes the incredible, marvelous miracles of feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000, which is his addition of presenting to us that Christ is, for all of us, the bread of life. you know him? Do you know Christ as the bread of life? Is he the nourishment in your life every day? (laughs) Yes, Christ as the bread of life points to the spiritual satisfaction 
of those being filled with the truth of his person and word of redemption. However, many in Israel had heard Jesus' teaching and preaching. They witnessed and saw his miracles. The Jewish leaders from Jerusalem had come to hear him and debate with him. Hence, corresponding with the fig tree before Jesus in this final week is the profound fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy, staring us, staring them right in the face. Jeremiah 8, 13. Listen to his prophecy. When I would gather them, Judah, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them, says Jeremiah. As you reflect upon the dramatic scene of Christ's judgment, take time to inspect your own heart, your own life, in view of Christ's final stage of the parable of the sower. Right now, congregation, right now is a good time for each of us for such a personal inspection as we participate in this event recorded in God's word. You are there. Place yourself in the text, in the event. How are you reacting? He is hungry, looking at the tree bearing no fruit. Although Christ is directing us to his judgment upon Israel, you cannot help sitting here this morning. You cannot help sitting here this morning but to have a personal reflective response in your soul to this situation. And if you're not, if you've turned out, tuned out all morning, then ask yourself where your soul is. Where is it? Remember, the final judgment begins with the household of God. 
Is your life joining Christ's eternal judgment of Israel? Or is your life responding in faith to Christ's word? Your Redeemer with not only the fruits of repentance, but also with a productive life of faith in Christ. Which is it? Look into your heart. Which is it? By now, in terms of Mark's narrative, you should understand by now what a productive life of discipleship and the cost of discipleship looks like according to the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, reread, listen, see, live the fruitful design of union with Christ from chapter 8, verse 31 through chapter 10, verse 52. As a persecuted follower, says Christ, as a persecuted follower of sacrifice of self to others for the sake of the good news and Jesus Christ unto the age to come, eternal life. That's the life of discipleship. That's the life of faith. How are you doing? How are you doing in terms of Christ's message in that section in your own life? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have before us this very day a text that gives us clear warning even unto our own faith that we need to inspect our own hearts and see if we ourselves are living a living faith that trusts, that abandons self and gives all our existence to the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our life in a way in which we are found as following the word of Christ. In Christ's name. Amen.